This is an amazing world. I mean, the only reason that you and I believe this world, this world, the world in which you're living right now, exists is because you live here. And you grew up here. If someone described this world to us in a book, and that was all we knew, we would say it's far it's far-reaching fantasy, way beyond Middle Earth. We live on a perfect sphere, sphere hurling through space at 67,000 miles per hour. That's Mach 8 for you, J.K.R. pilot. The Earth is also spinning while it speeds through, through space. So add an extra thousand miles per hour at our, our nice little fat part there, little bubble of the globe. It travels at this speed while traveling through a traffic jam of stars more congested than I-75 on Friday afternoon in Atlanta. And somehow, while hurling along at that speed, you and I manage to keep our balance most of the time while only holding on with our toes. Happens every day. There we are, by the way. It's not as helpful as other maps. I don't really know how to get anywhere from there. It's truly amazing. In this place, there are these things called apple trees, and they turn flowers into fruit... Oh, using only air and sunshine. Well, sure. Why not? Caterpillars really do turn into butterflies. A fat thing inching across the ground. Flies. Coal really does smash down into a diamond. And one of the things that astounds me more than anything else is that you can feed a pig almost anything and it gives you bacon. (laughs) I mean, we think we've caught up in recycling. We are nowhere close. You give it broccoli, bacon. It's phenomenal. This world is amazing. Some of the things that I shared with you came from Indy Wilson's book, Notes from a a, a Tilt a Wheel, which is a great and interesting book. But this world is, is, is a fascinating place. It's way beyond something that was just made for you and me. It is unbelievable. I mean, here in Georgia, we talked about the fact we pass trees all of the time. And trees somehow with no pump, no motor, no mouth, are able to drink with their feet all day long. It's phenomenal. This world is an absolutely amazing place, but not only is this world an amazing place and full of wonder and all, but we are made in such a way as to enjoy this world. Psalm 139, a a psalm we all know very well, verses 13 and 14 say this, "For For you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. That picture kind of adds some depth to that, doesn't it? I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You see, what Scripture tells us is that the wonder isn't just around us, but it's in us. It's in you. You are wonderfully made in the image of God, and there has never been and there never will be anyone just like you. Now maybe you're saying shucks and people around you are going, Phew. Think about that for a moment. All of the billions of people All made in God's image, but none of them have been just like you, and none ever will be. David says in there, wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. You see, the amazing thing about the human body is that it is perfectly designed to take in the wonder of this world. God put wonder in the world as He created, and then He puts us here, and He gives us the ability to taste, to touch, to see, to hear, to smell the wonders of the world around us. I mean, it it could just be that there was a wonderful world and we could be blind to it, but God didn't do that. He made an amazing world, He made amazing people, and He made them capable of comprehending the wonder that's around them, of engaging and enjoying that wonder. What's funny is that we get obsessed with technology, right? We have the iPhone, and and we, we get all excited about the iPhone 6S because it has this touch technology, right? So if I press my screen harder, it senses that and does different stuff in certain apps, We all go, whoa, what? Yeah, my pinky finger's been doing that since I was a baby. But somehow when it gets here, I go, oh, it's here and I, uh uh-huh, yeah. We have televisions that we want to try and make more high def and more high def and better surround sound and you can never have enough speakers or a big enough screen or all of those things. Why? We're just trying to catch up with what our eye is already capable of doing and does every day when it, when it looks at the world around us. Truly, we are amazing creatures living in an amazing world. But something else that's also true is that we were created with longing. We pursue beauty. In Proverbs chapter 8, we've been walking through Proverbs uh, with the students. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 11, one of my favorite passages in Proverbs, but it, it, towards the, the end of that, that, that section, it, It says this, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you desire cannot compare with her. Now think about Solomon 
and his understanding of pleasure and the pursuit of beauty. He made it a lifelong pursuit. And as wisdom is personified, we're told that it goes beyond all that we could desire. So here's a father seeking to explain to his son the value of wisdom and he connects with what he knows is already deep in the heart of his son, which is a longing for beauty. A longing. Towards the end of the book, that's what ultimately Paul Tripp says, that all is a longing. Inside of all of us is a longing. And so in, throughout the book of Proverbs, uh, the writer attempts to, to, paint pro, the, to paint wisdom as so beautiful that you would pursue it. Better than jewels, better than gold, better than riches is wisdom. It's beautiful. Pursue it. We can understand that. It makes sense to us. When we were made in God's image, as image bearers, we were made to have a relationship with the one whose image we bear. I think instilled inside of us was the longing for that. When Jesus uses the parables in Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46... It might make us scratch our heads some theologically to figure out exactly what he means or exactly how he's comparing the kingdom when he says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now we might scratch our heads and go, wait, how does that compare to the kingdom? What we never scratch our heads on is that longing. We understand it immediately. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. We immediately understand that longing. We immediately go, yes, I know that. I want that. I want to find that thing in my life that's so valuable, so beautiful, so all-consuming that I would sell everything I have just to have it. Because we were born with longing. The wonder in this world is supposed to direct us to the one who is truly wonderful. We have a longing in us. We live in a world full of wonder. And as we see the wonder around us, Scripture is so clear that that wonder in the world is supposed to drive us to the only one who is truly wonderful. Another passage you know very well, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Now just think about that for a moment. The Word of God is saying that every day, every moment, the heavens are declaring to us the wondrous glory of God. Not a day has gone by that the heavens have failed to do that. Many a day has gone by where I've failed to listen. But they're not just declaring wonder. They're pointing us to someone. 
Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom revealing, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from one end of the, of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The glory and the wonder around us in creation is there to point us to the one who is truly wonderful. Sometimes I think we forget part of God's wonder because we fail to see the wonder in creation around us. We're so busy carrying on with our tasks and our lives that we fail to just stand in awe of this huge signpost called creation that screams every day faithfully to us from the birds that sing to the trees that are drinking with their toes to the caterpillar that's turning into a butterfly to the bacon that you're eating that was at one time broccoli or an apple. All of those things are screaming to you, there is wonder here. And all of this wonder is way too big for you and me. It's like that relative that buys you a shirt every year or a piece of clothing every year that's like three times too big. You open it, wow, I'll make a nice tablecloth. This creation and the wonder in it, if it's for me, it's way overdone. It's way too much. So much will take place in this wonderful world that I will never see Never behold, never hear about, never know. And a lot that I've already been told, I've forgotten. But if it's for God, if it's to point us to Him, then it fits. Here's the problem though. The problem is that sinfully we try to fill our longing in the creation instead of in the Creator. Again, a passage that we know well, Romans chapter 1, right? This is what... Paul says, creation is declaring the glory of God, but instead of listening to creation's declaration of God's glory, we turn to creation and we look to it to fulfill us. Many times we look to creation... And when I say that, I'm not saying we look to sinful things, inherently sinful things. We look to good things in creation and we look to those things and we ask for them to satisfy that God-given longing. We say, fill me. So a mother looks to her children and says, fulfill me. A man looks to his work and he says, fill my longing. A teenager pours into his relationships or her relationships and says, give me identity. Fill my longing. A husband looks at his wife. A woman looks to her home. A pastor looks to his church. And he says, fulfill my longing. Fulfill my longing. It's something that we have done since the fall of man. We've turned to the creation And we've looked to it in different ways and in different forms. And we've said, satisfy the longing that is inside of me. When the all that's all around us, the beauty and the wonder that's all around us is directing us to the only one 
who is truly wonderful and is able to satisfy that longing for all that's so deep inside of each one of us. So what do we hope to do as we walk through this study? Well, we want to be captivated by all again. We want to, once a week, on Sunday night here together, encourage one another to slow down just enough to stop and say, where is my longing? But not only that, we don't just want to say, where is my longing? We want to say, where am I looking to satisfy that longing? In the first chapter, one of the things that Paul Tripp does, he kind of gives this test and he says, ask yourself these questions. Where are the moments of your greatest delight in a week? Where do they come from? What will really get you fired up if you don't get? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What makes you feel like giving up? The way you answer those questions might indicate where you're looking for satisfaction of that longing, that God-given longing that can only be satisfied by Him. Ultimately, what we want to do is we want to turn to God once again, and we want to behold Him, and we want to see how a longing for Him doesn't just affect what we do on Sundays, but it ought to affect what we do in every aspect of our lives. That in every area of our lives, we are either displaying a God-given, God-glorifying longing for Him, or we're showing that our hearts are looking to something or someone else to satisfy that longing. Well, I hope that you are excited about this study as we walk through this. And I would encourage you to begin praying about those things. I would even encourage you, if I could give you some homework, if, if you don't have the book, stop sometime this week and just stand in awe of the wonder that's around you. Maybe take your Bible and take Psalm 19 and just stand outside, yes, outside, where there's no air conditioning, where there are bugs. Just stand out there and read that psalm. Pause and look around and listen to creation as it declares that there is wonder in all. And it surrounds us. And it's in us. We are longing for someone. And we will not be satisfied with anything in creation, no matter how busy we make ourselves, until we find that fulfillment in Him.